and welcome back to another episode of Loss of Down. I am your host, Stephen Weird, of course, always joining me in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The guy who does not like to drink Seagram's, but enjoys Canada Dry, I'm only assuming, Wally Lukashetsky. Before I toss it to him, in his beta-esque ginger ale drink of choice, this episode is brought to you by Tabbies.com, the premier Delta 8 edible on the market. T-A-B-E-A-S-E.com. Remember, use that promo code FOOTBALL for 20% off that order and free shipping. Wally, what is the deal with Seagram's? Why do you not like it? It's got nothing to do with liking it or not liking it. It's just Canada Dry is, first of all, better. And that's why I don't get sick. It's because it's got its built-up immunity right there in Canada Dry. You're probably always sniffling around because you got your Seagram's fetish. And you would probably like Pepsi over Coke products. I'm going to go on. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's settle down with that kind of blasphemy here. Coke is, this is a Coke household, always will be. Not what I heard. Diet Pepsi is what I heard is rolling around in your house. Also, those are fighting beta words. Beta beverage. Fighting words. Beta beverage, Wally Lukashensky preferring Canada Dry over ginger ale. When you guys hear this, shoot me and him or tax if you agree with Wally or disagree, because we know Seagram's is king, but we've strayed away from the point before even starting. That right there epitomizes our relationship. Week 14 is in the books. Kansas City beating up on Wally's Raiders, which we'll get to. I think we're both going to have very, uh, hopefully, similar things. I felt like we're on opposite sides of the spectrum last week during our challenge flag. One o'clock games, eh. Four o'clock games, two overtimes. Two comebacks, two causes to go to overtime. Yet, the team that ended up leading the entire game, they win it in overtime anyway. We'll get to that before we bounce into our NASCAR segment couple stories of the week since the last time that you were able to listen and we were able to talk to each other. The NFL right now experiencing, after the Monday night game, it feels like, are the most cases in the NFL of COVID outbreaks here. The hardest team that it's hitting right now are the Cleveland Browns. You had Baker Mayfield that tested positive today. Their head coach, Kevin Stefanski, tested positive today. We haven't even gotten to Wyatt Teller, Austin Hooper, Jarvis Landry, and the others that are in here. Wally, I feel like this is a year late. Well, holy shit, are we about to just see the end of this football season disintegrate right in front of us? No, it's definitely not to that level yet. I think that, first of all, most of these players are vaccinated. So we're seeing these new kind of standards be set by the league. And that that's the biggest question mark right now is that they are reevaluating these because a lot of people don't remember the Raiders and Browns game was actually flexed to Saturday, a day earlier than it was initially scheduled. With everything going on, I wouldn't be shocked if it is pushed back to Sunday. I don't know this short of a time frame if they'll do that. I know that last year the Browns basically had to play without wide receivers for a game. The Broncos obviously had their game when they had their wide receivers start at quarterback, but that was a self-induced kind of penalty where Denver had brought that upon themselves. The Browns are nearly 100% vaccinated. They're not going to get penalized, or at least they shouldn't. But this is the NFL. We never really know because they don't ever really know. You know, Browns fans are just waiting for the NFL to let this game play. Because that'd be two straight years that, yes, Cleveland had a lot of those, you know, had the COVID outbreak here last year, missing a lot of key players. Yet they were still forced to play. It was like a week or two before they had the Ravens-Steelers game, I want to say, get postponed for the exact same thing. Here we go again. Like you said, that game was flexed to Saturday. Shorter schedule. No rumors, no actual reports of them of that being postponed. 
But man, oh man, if Cleveland has to play this game, that city is going to be in an uproar. I don't even remember how that game finished last year without the wide receivers. You, we would have to probably hear, and I'm sure my buddies will let me know. I want to say that was before the Giants game, but maybe I'm off. But no, either way, I'd be surprised, first of all, if they either don't adjust the standards and rules that they've set up for COVID and vaccinated players and asymptomatic players, either that or they have to just move this game, whether that be the Sunday, Monday, or last year. I actually think that Baltimore Steelers game in Pittsburgh, it was either a Tuesday or it was a Wednesday night. So I don't know, but there is a precedent out there now, and especially with the Browns being heavily in the thick of things, I would be genuinely floored if they just allow this to go with the Browns basically with half a practice squad. That was the only cool thing last year. There's Tuesday games. You had a Wednesday game. That's really the only benefit of it. So I hope they get it right. I hope they get everyone healthy. And man, oh man, if this keeps spreading through the NFL, are we going to see a league-wide bye week, maybe two, and extend? I don't think that they're going to be able to financially do that, make the moves for the Super Bowl to get pushed back, playoffs. But holy shit, we could be we could be – Heading into some dangerous waters here. Joined by Antonio Brown, who's in the murkiest and most dangerous of waters. As you know, he's still serving. This upcoming week would be the third game of a three-game suspension of Antonio Brown because of the false falsification. I, I think that's a made-up word, but sure, let's say falsification. You're the resident uh, doctor in English. So Falsified kind of, is probably what you're looking for. Falsified? This fucking, this is why I give you the big bucks. Anyway, Antonio Brown, fake vaccination card. Bruce Arians is still up in the air about what they're going to do, if they're going to cut them, if they're going to have another internal disciplinary action that they're going to take on Antonio Brown. Bruce Arians fucking do it now. He's been sitting on my bench, injured and suspended. Just let it, let me drop him on my fantasy team so I can add someone else. It's just funny because every single time an Antonio Brown story comes up, I always kind of have that like PTSD moment as a Raiders fan. I remember back to the Gruden phone call. I think back to the frozen feet debacle, the burn feet, whatever you want to call it. I think about him coming into the Raiders facility for OTAs on a hot air balloon for hard knocks. This guy lives to be kind of in the news cycle. And at some point, we got to stop giving this guy the benefit of the doubt. I understand that Tom Brady you understands how important he is as a football player. But when do we stop cutting this guy breaks? I'm like I know that when Aaron Rodgers had his I'm immunized comment, we had kind of had a little bit of a dialogue here about how the NFL is just so hypocritical on everything they do. This isn't any different. I I know that it's it's Aaron Rodgers that's the difference here. But there just needs to be a blanket penalty for these people and that be the end of it. Who knows what happens in Tampa Bay, though? I, I'd be lying to tell you I'm not rooting that he gets cut. Scumbag. Wow, that didn't feel like a personal vendetta against that man or anything, Wally. So I'm glad you put the bias to the side on that one. With that, we're going to hop right into our NASCAR segment where we speed up the tempo a little bit, blow through the insignificant games or more lopsided games. Get you right into the action. As a reminder, the bye weeks we had were the Colts, Dolphins, Patriots, and the Philadelphia Eagles. The first game on the slate was the Thursday night game where the Minnesota Vikings came out on top 36-28. Pittsburgh, 66 total yards in the first half. And after trailing 29-0, Pitt storms back in the fourth quarter. Stop me if that sounds familiar. It followed just short. Time running out. 
Fairmouth dropping a touchdown to push for a two-point conversion to potentially tie the game. That's a lot right there. End of the day, Pittsburgh did not get it done. This game really was the epitome of the Pittsburgh Steelers' 2021 season. Lots of encouraging things that all get sullied by a toxic locker room culture. The Chicago Bears and Green Bay played on Sunday night football. And Fields, just telling you out there, I know your buddy, Chicago fan, lots of them out there. Fields is the future of Chicago. Be patient, Bears fans. When Nagy gets shit-canned, hire a competent coach, and you might be cooking with gas. But speaking of cooking with gas, the Packers just continue to impress. They may have a more difficult path to home field than Tampa Bay and Arizona, but there's not a reason at all to believe they can't run the table. Nothing is funnier than when you get the Monday the Monday text saying Aaron Rodgers had a setback in his toe injury. Yes, we know. He's playing with a broken toe. He's going to have those up until he is eliminated from playing those games this season. Aaron Rodgers, I still own you, Chicago. I'll run that back. Four touchdowns in route to a 45-30 to 30 victory. Hey, I'll give you the props. Justin Fields looking good. Great first half. But the coaching took over with the adjustments in the second half. Green Bay took right off. Jacksonville at Tennessee. Tennessee wins 20 to nothing. Urban Meyer's midfield handshake with Mike Vrabel is disrespectful. No one likes Urban Meyer. Don't even think Urban Meyer likes Urban Meyer at this point. And that's former teammate, or not teammate at least, but former Buckeye. He understands that relationship with Vrabel. Very toxic there. The Urban Meyer experiment will be over soon, though, hopefully at least for Jags fans. But the butterfly effect in Duval may prove harder to get rid of. The Titans on the flip are going to win the South. They're destined for an embarrassing home playoff loss in their own right. And then the Atlanta Falcons face off against the Carolina Panthers, where the Panthers just simply don't have a quarterback. They lost the turnover battle in this game 3-1, to one, and that's all there was to this game. They had the ball 10 fewer minutes and allowed only 318 yards in that 35 minutes of defense. As dark as it is today, you get a quarterback in Charlotte, and this team really can make some noise. Carolina's wasting a very solid defense that they have on that side of the ball right now. Carolina losing their third straightest Cam Noon as a starter. We know he sucks. Now people can finally just, everyone can now agree, he sucks, does not deserve to be in the league, and if so, backup quarterback is the highest that this man should be on a roster. Seattle traveling to Houston, getting a nice dub. And it took a while for Seattle in this game, but they end up blowing them out by 20 points. I feel like Seattle's just, they're going to be that team that is going to cover the rest of the year. And they're just playing, and now they're just playing the spoiler for all the fellow NFC West and all the playoff teams that they're going to be facing here the last few weeks. Yeah, there's over 830 yards combined in this game with no turnovers. Not exactly what too many of us had drawn up here. The New Orleans Saints and New York Jets, they face off. Saints kind of exploit the Jets once again. Not really a lot of positives coming out of New York these days. The most effective this Jets offense has been all year is while Mike White, Josh Johnson, and Joe Flacco have been at quarterback. I have sold all my stock on Zach Wilson. I'd also like to add, too, thank God, if I'm Sean Payton, that we won this game because, holy shit, that movie with Kevin James could clear the spots off of Dalmatian. Good job, Saints. You needed a win. You got the win. Taysom Hill getting back with 246 total yards, two touchdowns, but Alvin Kamara back. They are clearly a way better team, at least a competent team on offense when Alvin Kamara is in that starting backfield. Let's see if they also want to play spoiler in that horrible NFC South division. 
Final game here on the NASCAR level, Detroit at Denver, where Detroit never stood a chance. They had starters missing. They're playing against a team at home with heavy hearts. They had no shot. Denver gave it to them from the get-go. Four-time Pro Bowler, two-time All-Pro, Super Bowl 50 champion, rest easy DT, football fans everywhere will miss you, division and out. Now, Stephen, we're going to go to you. Before we actually get into the best of Week 14, let's introduce again for our second time our challenge flag, where you get the opportunity to go back into one of these games we were going to blow through and challenge something that was either said or something that's going on with these teams and get a little bit more of an in-depth scoop. What's your challenge for this week? This week, I'm comfortable keeping my challenge flag. I only have one timeout. Remaining Wally, I am not confident that this challenge is going to go through. I am pocketing it and letting the game roll on. You know, that's perfect because I wasn't actually got anything that I wanted to throw a challenge flag on. But with what happened this last week, and since we haven't had a lot of time to talk about it, I'm going to kind of do a joint, open it up for us just for a second. Demarius Thomas, the obvious tragic news with him and his passing this week. You hear about the outpouring of love and sport from fellow players, not only from Denver, but from opposition players. This is a loss not only to Denver, but for the NFL community at large. I just wanted to go to you. If, if Do you have any football moments? I, I imagine we have a very similar one, but anything you would want to add to Demarius Thomas just as a football fan watching this guy? Just a very underrated wide receiver in that group and during that time because all the eyes are on Tim Tebow obviously like you said we all everyone remembers the 80 yard slant first play in overtime against the Pittsburgh Steelers in the wild card round I want to say in 2012 2011 I want it might be 2012 2013 even but it was in that range we're in the same ballpark there's been nothing but just respect you know out, outpouring respect prayers condolences from a lot of his former teammates, DeAndre Hopkins, in his short time in Houston. You know, he spent some time up in New England, and obviously the, his nine, most of his career, nine years of it in Denver, playing with Peyton Manning, some that great defense, winning that Super Bowl. And, you know, he was just one of those guys, which we don't get too many at wide receiver. He lets his numbers do the talking. He wasn't really – he wasn't diva. From any story, that he wasn't really talking a lot of trash, and he was that guy who liked to lead by example, very soft-spoken, but can be very loud at times. So, And to kind of even wrap this all up, the dude was 33. He could arguably still be in the league, which is his age, and that fact right there is just the most heartbreaking of it all. Well, and when any time like this happens, naturally, I know it's kind of turned into this kind of thing we poke fun at in pop culture where anything happens from a sports team that can kind of be emotionally felt at some point it's the hey as a Raiders fan I want to say blah 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 uh, oh as a Chiefs fan oh as a Chargers fan even throwing that out just from a personal perspective notice that there is so many people with rivalries with the Broncos or wherever he was a part of these are it's the cool part about sports is that we all have these moments intertwined in our mind whether they be good or bad where ultimately in 40 years, hopefully I make it that long. I'm not going to be thinking about the tuck rule. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, it's all these fun moments that you you have along the way, or at least you poke fun. Like I can remember the year after that game, and it was obviously nothing to do with death, but Charles Woodson fake strip sacks Tom Brady and was giving him a hard time pregame. And it's like, 
we're going to always have these moments shared. And even though it happened against our teams, it made Demarius Thomas special for us too, is that we got to see him at play at such a high level, especially in that period of time where before the last year or two, Peyton Manning, that period of time in Denver with him, I mean, that was one of the most special offenses I can remember watching. And Demarius Thomas was a very, very vital part of that. The most dangerous receiver to give the ball to on the wide receiver screen. I cannot tell you how many times you just saw you have the trips left or just two left, one right, and just Demarius Thomas. Fake going up, take a couple steps back, catch it to the fucking house on the wide receiver screen. I felt like he, that was his staple. If you can remember a highlight from certain players' careers, that is that highlight. It's just running over and over again. And yes, I know we're talking about the Pittsburgh slant. Outside of that, I, he made a living on the wide receiver screen. Nothing else to say on my end. Like I said, rest easy, DT. He will be heavily missed. And with that, let's get to the best of week 14. Leading with arguably the best game on the schedule here this week, the Buffalo Bills travel to Tampa Bay. Where Tampa Bay is up 27-10 with about 11 minutes left. Where Buffalo then goes on to score 17 unanswered in under a nine-minute span. Josh Allen with 417 total yards, 109 of that on the ground. Three touchdowns and one interception. Josh Allen now is one of four quarterbacks that have 300 passing yards and 100 rushing yards in a single game. Tom Brady adding two touchdowns with 363 yards. So I want to ask you this, Wally. I have a couple defensive stats I want to kind of set you up, kind of bring in the answer here. Is it alarming how Tampa Bay was just not able to close that game out until obviously overtime, Rashad Perryman hitting, getting that touchdown? Yeah, that dude's still in the league. That's right. He's getting the game-winning touchdown. Should we be worried about this Buccaneers defense down the stretch? Because they are clearly not the same defense that got hot in the same time of the season last year. The defense may not quite be where they're at. And that's understandable because last year they were a top five defense in the league. You're going to be putting more of the pressure on the offense. I think that's clear and obvious at this point. Defense really hasn't clicked all year. They started the year injured. But at the end of the day, this is a good enough defense that they should not be giving up 17 points in the final nine minutes, especially when I throw in a couple things that I didn't even realize until I went back and did kind of a deep dive on this game because they did not run a designed handoff to a running back in the first half of this game. That has not happened in any NFL game since 1991. That is 30 years. That is, what, 12 to 16 games a week, 16 or 17 weeks a year for 30 years. It has not happened. That is basically what happens when you play your buddy and you're both drunk at 1 in the morning on Madden and you go up on a touchdown early and then all of a sudden your friend breaks their mind and realizes, oh, wait, I've got to throw because I'm from behind. That's what it felt like. It felt completely undisciplined, and it felt like an identity crisis for this Bills team where I understand what you're trying to do with Josh Allen. I understand how they believe in his arm talent, but that doesn't matter who your quarterback is. You have to run the ball. Tom Brady needs run games. Aaron Rodgers needs a run game. Peyton Manning needed a run game. All these guys need run games to not run at, even at all. And that was the crazy thing is I'm glad you mentioned that he was over 100 yards and all that. He was running. They just weren't doing it with their halfback. That is 
Such an indictment on McDermott. I was stunned by it. And that was, first of all, my big takeaway. But then from uh, the Bucks side, I'm not worried about it yet. I still think that you're seeing them kind of do their crank up moment right now. But it, this was more about the Bills getting away from what they do. And now it kind of feels like they're panicking at 7-6. and six, Only got four games left. And now they have that trip to Foxborough. You lose that game. I know that they look easy. I know the last three games look easy, but if you lose one of them, all of a sudden, this Super Bowl Bills team a lot of people thought was going to happen isn't going to even be dancing when seven teams make the playoffs. And it's not even anything. The running game is is really huge. They just don't have an offensive line. And we've been saying it the last few weeks. At least, you know, I believe in what I'm saying is Josh Allen is a stud. He is your quarterback, and he can be a quarterback for a long time. And you are asking too much of him. Well, Steve, he was able to produce, not get the win, but got them right there. Yeah, that's the problem. You're not going to win having Josh Allen do this much. I don't care you have Stephon Diggs. I don't care about what your defense can do. If you can't protect Josh Allen and not let him naturally develop the plays instead of panicking and making forceful plays, sure, yeah, you're going to have this. 400 total yards, or you're going to have what we've been dealing with here the past month, which is Josh Allen needs help. You can't do it. You got five people in front of you that need to block. It's just not happening. Until that is addressed, I cannot take this Bills team serious because that is the number one thing. It all starts with the line. If you can determine the line of scrimmage, set the tone at the line of scrimmage, that's how you're going to be successful, and it's a domino effect. They don't have that. That domino effect is non-existent eight drives it took eight drives to hand the ball off only thing i can think of leaving this game the monday night game the los angeles rams going to the desert and upset the arizona cardinals who dropped from the first spot in the nfc playoff race to the third spot matt stafford 287 yards with three touchdowns cooper cup 13 123 and one touchdown and obj also adding his third straight touchdown as a los angeles rams but what was so impressive about this rams victory is that they were without daryl henderson they were without jalen ramsey and tyler higby on top of a couple other players that were that were rotational players that's a big win this is, I want to say the monkey is completely off Matt Stafford and the Rams back, but this is going to help. This is get, getting rid of that mantra that Matt Stafford can't beat teams over 500. Yes, I know it's once. I'm not going to get caught up in that and just completely ride that wave. But that win, this late in the season against a NFC West opponent, shit, we got news that DeAndre Hopkins is out for the rest of the year because of a knee injury. All of a sudden, the Rams are one game back from that lead. And Arizona... Are they going to give us a little miniature Pittsburgh Steelers of last year and kind of lose all that momentum towards the end of the season and headed into the playoffs? I don't think they're going to fall off kind of at the clip we saw the Steelers fall off last year, what, starting 11-0, and going 1-4 and four down That's the why I said miniature. I yeah, said well, miniature. Okay, you're right. I mean, a miniature for them now would probably be losing, we'd say, two of the last four games, or I guess three of the five. A Kyler Murray-sized, you know? A Kyler, I, that is nice. The little guy. The Snickers mini, I got you. But yeah, this is actually, this is a game for me at least. From a Cardinals perspective, you got beat by a good Rams team that clicked in a game. You don't panic. I'm not going to focus a lot on here because you still control your own destiny. 
Schedule actually looks pretty good down the stretch here for you. You'd imagine you can get right. We'll get into that game with the gambling segment. But I want to focus here on the Rams. OBJ came into this with three games under his belt with the Rams. Only 12 catches entering the game. Something in the neighborhood of 120 to 140 yards receiving. Kind of what we had been seeing in that Browns system there as the number one. What really changed here is that he's not asked to be the number one wide receiver right now. And Sean McVay, I almost said McDermott, we're going from Bill's games to this. That was a good save. But anyways, he he's really making it a point to get him the ball, to keep his wide receiver happy. And you mentioned when we were talking about Demarius Thomas, about these diva wide receivers, and Odell is one. It, there's no shame in it, not, like denying it. It's what it is. He is, he is a diva wide receiver. And when he's actually playing at this level, this offense looks a lot like the offense we expected them to be because since Robert Woods' injury, they had a fall-off. My question I actually wanted to pose to you was that we have been so high on Jonathan Taylor and Derrick Henry all year for MVP. Why have we not been talking about Cooper Cup enough? Because this guy now, in this game, 13 catches, buck 23 and a touchdown, He's got 113 catches, 1489 in yardage, and 12 touchdowns already on the year. Who would you be voting for right now? Jonathan Taylor or Cooper Cup? My vote's for Jonathan Taylor. Uh, now I know it helps he has one of the he has one of the best offensive lines in the game. He's putting up similar numbers for that position. Obviously, it's going there's going to be a little bit skewed. But the one thing and I I agree with you, why why should Cooper Cup why shouldn't Cooper Cup be in the conversation? Offensive player of the year, we know he's going to check that box. He's going to win it. It's all but it's all but wrapped up and presented to him at this point, right? But the thing is that people fall back on is there's someone passing him that ball, right? Matt Stafford. So, you know, people are hopping on the Matt Stafford train. Everyone's quicker to give Matt Stafford the MVP than a wide receiver strictly because maybe half the distance of those yardage are traveling in the air because of the guy who's throwing him the ball. As opposed to a running back with those that's putting up similar production, that's typically all him. Right? The quarterback hands the ball if he ain't doing shit the rest of that play. How many times are you going to see a quarterback block? Teddy Bridgewater can't even tackle someone who just intercepted him, taking it to the crib. Who thinks they're going to block a 300, 350-pound lineman? No one. So that's why I think I would give the nod to JT over, but no disrespect to Cooper Cup because if we could throw that out, Cooper Cup is definitely in there. And this is the year a non-quarterback is going to play because of the topsy-turny top five switching up. Well, Pat Mahomes isn't there. Well, Aaron Rodgers are keeping up. Well, what about Justin Herbert? Oh, well, should we throw Josh out on there? Man, that one's kind of ticking me down. What about Kyler Murray? That, sink, that ship is sinking real quick. This would be the year to do it. Personally, my vote is JT. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely think it's fair. And I'm not like you, I think, on the flip. I If Jonathan Taylor won it, it you, God forbid, you've heard me lobby for Derrick Henry in the last few weeks, even with him missing about a month straight, I just, like, I won't have any upset. But if a quarterback does win it this year, just literally get rid of the word MVP and say best quarterback in the league this year. Because Cooper Cup is, he, you have to believe, especially with that little weird period where Robert Woods tears his ACL in practice and you bring in OBJ as he has to learn a playbook really rapidly. Cooper Cup is equally as valuable, if not more in that period of time, than Matt Stafford. I've been defending Derek Carr, Baker Mayfield, 
Kirk Cousins, stuff like that in the past. Not so much Kirk Cousins issue with his wide receiving group. But those guys, because they don't have the wide receivers, Cooper Cup is the difference right now between him being a part of that group. So I, I don't know. It's it's a great conversation to have. Once the season's over, we'll have to get into it a little bit heavier. But you know who where everyone is falling back on, right? What well, why didn't why didn't he have these numbers with Jared Goff? Yes, clearly we're both agreeing. Jared Goff and Matt Stafford are two completely different quarterbacks. But you can't tell me that the scheme isn't heavier towards Cooper Cup with Matt Stafford than Jared Goff. So that's what people are going to fall back on. Well, why don't you scheme better with Goff as your quarterback, less talent, to get the ball to Cooper Cup? Well, he did. He just didn't have a guy who can get him the ball. Hence, why we're seeing the production uptick here. So it's a double-edged sword here, but agreed. Tom Brady Award, best quarterback of the year. Flip it off there and then make it the, I don't know, they got the Walter Payton Man of the Year. Why not the Emmett Smith Ball Carrier Award? Some well, shit well, Literally, like that. just at some point, why not just do best buy position? Ended at that. Doing, like, overall maybe Offensive Player of the Year or Defensive Player of the Year too, but MVP... It, it, we're wasting our time because unless a year like this occurs, we already know it's quarterback. Hashtag Quentin Nelson is MVP. Let's oh, get the big men in there. Oh, I was going to say, the, don't get me excited. You got me all revved up right here. Let's get the big men out there, man. Hey, as much as I love Cooper Cup, let's be real. It's a white guy at receiver. We love it. That'd be great for us. Oh, my God. But you know what? You ready for this- one? You ready for one? And I'll be done. I swear. Jedrick Wills, left tackle for the Cleveland Browns. He has the lowest pressure allowed percentage rate in the entire NFL as a left tackle. That is absurd. That's a almost guaranteed center or guard, I guess, uh, statistic owned every single year. And this year, doing it in the year that the Browns have had with the injury he got in the opening game, why not? You want to start getting me revved up and talking O-line? Let's get my boy Jedrick Wills the MVP. The only reason he doesn't he's allowing the least amount of pressures is because Baker Mayfield thinks his eternal clock goes off in two seconds. Oh, here we go. Oh, here game. we go. Gotcha. And I think and I think his labrum, his groin, his knee, and his vagina can all say different things because of the injuries he sustained this year. Oh, I know. It's a shame his toes not hurt right now because then we could talk about that week in and week out. He's just not the quarterback, and the Las Vegas Raiders get. Spanked by the Kansas City Chiefs. No fucking surprise here. Pat Mahomes, 20-24 for 258. If you guys remember last week, that's what he's been averaging during this win streak, and he's keeping on that average with two touchdowns. And the Kansas City defense turning the Raiders over five times, including a scoop and score in the first quarter, and it just sucked the energy right out of the Vegas Raiders sideline. But you guys shot yourselves in the foot. You got cocky for no fucking reason and started dancing on their midfield logo. And I swear to God, Wally, if that is that is going to be the turning point of the season. That right there will be the turning point of the season. I swear if Kansas City wins a Super Bowl, I am blaming you guys on it. You can blame the Raiders all you want for what they did, but the Chiefs have been getting better. And you heard my challenge flag last week. This is the third straight time they've held their opposition to under 10 points. It's the first time any Chiefs defense has done that in a three-week period of time over the course of the last 25, 30 years. What, I have it, 1997 is the last time it happened. This Raiders team, and I want to be clear going into this, we're done talking about them after this game or week. They will be in NASCAR. I'm done. I'm, I'm 
what else do I have to say? It's the same thing week in and week out. I'm so sick and tired of it. And it, the thing that pissed me off most in the final straw for me was the blase behavior and, I guess, approach after this game. You lose to your arch rival on the road in historically embarrassing fashion, which all Raiders fans saw coming. I hope that some of you out there took some of those little prop bets with the alternate lines. I understand Rich Bizzacchia comes in and takes over an impossible situation after John Gruden gets fired the way he did, and then the Henry Rugg stuff happens immediately after. I understand. And I understand that he's a special teams coach. He's trying to keep a level head in as an interim head coach at the moment. But his response of basically just, we got to look in the mirror. we got to keep trying to play hard. we got to play for the guys next to us. And then Derek Carr coming out. And I love, I mean, how often do I come to bat for Derek Carr? But the fact that he basically didn't shut down that pregame, whatever you want to call it, at midfield powwow, where they're going to just celebrate and jump around on the Chiefs logo. You're the leader of that team. You've been a great leader all year. One of the things that nobody can take away from you, letting them do that takes away from that to me. I'm just, Josh Jacobs fumbles on the opening play of this game. It's returned for a touchdown. And like you said, took the wind out of the sails. Five turnovers from the offense. This is, put out the Al Davis torch. If this is not the death of the spirit of Al Davis, I don't know what is. Because what's his son even do today? And I, this is my last point, I swear to God. But Mark Davis gets the Super Bowl in Las Vegas for the year 2024. What's his response? Well, if we're not winning on the field, we might as well be winning off. Al Davis, that's his son. That The same Al Davis that was just win, baby, that sued the NFL, that fought the NFL tooth and nail his entire life to move teams, to build stadiums just for fun of it because of that's how competitively rich he was as an owner. The fact that he, like his son, his own flesh and blood is like celebrating Getting a Super Bowl in his stadium, put out the flame. I never want to see it again. Al Davis ain't here anymore. Now, I know we don't. This is not how it's going, but I saved it. I burned the timeout, and I got my challenge flag coming because it's 2-0-1 in the fourth quarter left on the clock. It's not under two minutes. I'm good to go, baby. I am still not impressed with the Kansas City Chiefs. Good job. You beat up on the... Las Vegas Raiders. Am I sending out fucking cookies to Green Bay for whooping up on Chicago again? No, because no one gives a shit. Yet, we're supposed to care that Kansas City's beating up on their little half-brother, the Las Vegas Raiders. Good job. Look at Pat Mahomes over this. He threw two more touchdowns, so that brings him to a grand total of 10 touchdowns during this during this winning streak. Well, hold on. Let me, uh, let me take the Raiders games out. Okay. Three touchdowns during this winning streak, and two interceptions, including this is his first time scoring touchdowns in three games. First time throwing touchdowns, throwing a touchdown in three games. Good job. This defense stopped what is an incompetent offense right now. You'll lose that deep threat. You can't keep Deshaun Jackson healthy. You can't keep Derek Carr upright. You don't have a running game. You have Josh Jacobs losing the ball. He clearly has just not been the same player this year. Why am I giving kudos to you? My biggest thing is, why do we dog the Rams? Why do we dog the Buffalo Bills, which I'm a part of, for not beating anybody? 
They're not a good team. They haven't beaten anybody. Yet, we're giving so much credit for Kansas City for doing the same fucking thing. Yet, they're magical because Pat Mahomes is averaging 260 yards when he typically has been averaging 350 over his first two years. Well, he's got 10 touchdowns. Cool. Seven of them are against the same team. Who he constantly beats up on. I am still not buying it. This week is going to be the biggest test to it. And I feel like this is the... <laughs> I'm, I don't even have a dog in this fight. And I'm getting fucking fired up. Just as fired up as you were when you are talking to your Raiders. Two. Two is the difference. Two straight years. The Chiefs, unlike those other teams that we've been critical of, they've gone to the Super Bowl. They win one. Yeah, they got dog walked against Tampa Bay last year. But we've seen this Chiefs team... Look in the face of adversity and win football games this year and do it with a little bit more of the defense side of the ball. Does it not feel a little bit like those Patriot teams in the teens opposed to the early thousands? This is much more, I guess, inverse, where you're talking about this is a Chiefs team that's much more balanced. They are just not trying to turn a ball over and depend on, I guess, their defense as much as their offense to win games. Pat Mahomes has more interceptions than Zach Wilson. San Francisco goes to Cincinnati where they almost blew a 20 to six lead here in the fourth quarter. Cincinnati comes back to ties it, sends it to overtime only for George Kittle, the tiger King. Do you like that? To come out with 13 receptions, 151 yards and one touchdowns. San Francisco winners of four of their last five. They could be making noise in that NFC West. That seems to be shaken up with all the injuries to Arizona and the potential of the LA Rams catching heat here. On the other side of the ball, this is Cincinnati. Let's win two in a row. Let's lose two in a row. Let's win two in a row. Let's lose two in a row. And it has been exactly that over the last eight games of this season. I don't know what Cincinnati team is going to come out every Sunday. doesn't really seem like any of us do. But I want to ask you this. You're an AFC guy, but I'm the NFC guy. If you're an NFC guy, do you want to play San Francisco right now? And flip it to uh, Papa Lukashensky's favorite team here, the Cincinnati Bengals. What the hell is going on with Joey B and the boys? I'm glad that you actually brought up Papa Lukashensky there because he had about a meltdown on Sunday watching his team again, where you're right, this has kind of been the story of the year. And I'm just, if I'm talking to Bengal fans out there, all I can say is I have been pushing for all year, you guys to be patient. You got here a year early. Everyone knows that you're going to be good. Joey Burrow looks tremendous. What he was able to do in the second half Sunday, outstanding. But you're going to have groin pains, and this is part of it. You don't just go from drafting number one overall to two years later being a Super Bowl team every time. And that's what this fan base wants. Give it time. Address the line this next year. You'll get better. Just don't wait so long to get into games. The Broncos won coming up. Very critical. We'll talk more gambling. For the 49ers, though, yeah, dude, why not? If I'm an NFC team, I'm terrified to play the 49ers right now. After they lost four straight, after starting year 2-0, and they've kind of had three different seasons all in one for them. They've now gone 5-2 and two since the four straight losses, and they're back, and as I continue to repeat, like week in, week out, they live and die by the way they start games. If the 49ers can get a lead on you, they are built to suffocate you. They are the Python, the Anaconda kind of team of the NFL. They are going to just squeeze the life out of you, lean on their running game. And it's so amazing. Every time you look at this, when they fall behind in the first half, 
they lose the time of possession battle. When they don't, they're typically looking at 10, 15 extra plays a game against their opposition. And when you actually do dives into this stuff statistically, those 10 or 15 plays matter a shit ton, which there's going to be a game here in a second. We're actually going to talk about that a little more. But yeah, dude, 49ers, they're not only a threat right now to be a wild card. In fact, they're probably pretty securely in the wild card, but they are very quietly a team that could sneak out of this NFC. We're on the same page with that. This this San Francisco team is now catching fire. You know how that defense can play. You know how that offense can. They're really starting to hum with George Kittle really starting to get healthy. Debo Samuel getting a little bit healthier from that groin injury. They can keep this offense going, man. I don't want to play that team. I don't care if it's in Lambeau. I don't care if it's in San Francisco. This is the last team in the NFC. With how up in the air, who we think is going to represent that conference, I'd rather play Tampa Bay over San Francisco, I think, at this point. And for good reason, too. If you're any team that has any concerns about stopping the run or maybe defense might be a little soft maybe in the penalty perspective why not so yeah as a Packer fan I can see why you're already thinking two steps ahead in the playoff perspective so I I don't blame you there we have our hearts ripped out by the same teams it's either San Francisco or Seattle and I guess Tom Brady's now joining the mix so yeah I'm just having a little bit of PTSD to kind of throw you back all the way to what week three or week four talking about getting the monkey off our back getting that win in San Francisco right? That's not the same team. I don't want to face that team right now because of what they've done in the past. I have trust issues because of those Colin Kaepernick-led teams, because of those defenses that would just shut down Green Bay. I do not want to face them. Only thing I'd say if I'm a Packer fan is at least this time around, unless something catastrophic happens in the last month of the year, that game's in Lambeau and not in 60-degree California. One can only hope. Speaking of 60 degrees and in, in sunny, Cleveland, Ohio this last weekend in the month of December, they hosted the Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson a week after, I guess I'd had the bye, but this was a consecutive matchup for at least the Browns, Baltimore only having the one game in between here. But this Browns team was actually up 24-3 late in the second quarter in this game, actually was up 24-6 at half. All of this while Lamar Jackson got hurt on a hurry early, sprained his ankle. We'll get into that later. It sounds like he will be able to play this next week, which is massive for those guys. But the Ravens come back in this game. And the best kicker, and I say best, maybe not most clutch, not to say he's not clutch, but the best kicker in NFL history, what's he do too? He gets an onside kick, and there's been pictures floating around about the Browns' hands team which is a basically a collection of people like you and I with a tight end standing right behind us. Don't know what that's about, but this now has got the AFC North being one of the most fun, I think, divisions that I can remember going into the end of the year. All the teams are within a game and a half of each other. And the way the schedule's working out, you might be looking at a four-horse race within a game of each other going in the last three weeks of the year, Steven. The Browns were just trying they wanted to lose this football game like you said they led 24 six and a half they get blanked in the second half this offense only puts up 290 total yards tyler huntley coming in with 270 yards one touchdown he also added 45 rushing yards in there so just above 300 
10 plus mark here. But my biggest thing is John Harbaugh had the most questionable call going for a two point conversion when the score, Baltimore scores, it is now 24 to 15. And John Harbaugh decides to go for the two point conversion with nine minutes left in the game. That was so stupid because fast forward, what do the Ravens do? They get the ball back, they go down and score, and now they're forced to take the two-point conversion. Yes, either way, you're going to have to take the two-point conversion, but you put yourself in a hole because when you miss it the first time, now it's a two-possession game, but you just kick that extra point. Now it's still one possession game, and now you're in the same boat you were before, and obviously hindsight's 20-20. Well, we would have gotten the onside kick. If we got it then, we would have gotten it there. Yeah, let's, let's go with that theory. You're in a way, way better position. But at the end of the day, the Cleveland Browns defense came up clutch here couple sacks here in the final drive, taking over, closing it out, which is a good confidence boost for this Cleveland Browns team. Obviously, I know I kind of ran through all the COVID, all the players that are testing positive for COVID or in that organization. There's a bulk of them going to be out. So this question I'm posing was a little bit premature, but is this a convincing enough win? And with Lamar Jackson's ankle injury, which he is not expected to miss time, but he is clearly not going to be the same quarterback. Is this a convincing enough win to throw all of your chips in Cleveland winning this division right now? God, you know, that's a hell of a question. And I'm glad that you choked about uh, uh, putting this question in here prematurely with all the COVID stuff that's popped up in the last few days because that has been such a weird kind of dynamic that you can throw into this now too where, yeah, maybe had they been healthy going into the Raiders game, I'd agree with you. But now you have a lot of weird thoughts going about and. Like I said, the Ravens very possibly lose this week, and you could see all three of the AFC North other teams in that, the Ravens, the Bengals, and the Browns, all win. And if that happens, you're going to have three teams at eight wins, and you're going to have the Steelers sitting there at seven wins in the tie. We, I cannot ever remember a division being this tightly contested in December. And talking about the second week of December, no, I don't think that you can actually say any of these four teams are there's a healthy case for any of them to be made. If you made me choose, made me choose, I suppose I'd go with the Bengals. And my reasoning for that is I think that they actually match up well with Baltimore and they have Denver this weekend. And if I'm right, that's two wins for the Bengals and they have to split then against the team that you are the most skeptical of that anybody in the world, the Kansas City Chiefs and the Cleveland Browns who just so happen to own the Cincinnati Bengals in the Baker Mayfield era. So I put a $10 bet here in the beginning of the year. Uh, I think it was maybe like week one or two. With all the injuries that happened with Baltimore, I was like, you know what? This is the year Lamar gets hurt, and he's going to be out an extended amount of time. So I put a $10 bet on what I think the order of the division will finish. I put Cleveland first, Pittsburgh second, Cincinnati third, and Baltimore last. And with this ankle injury happening, I'm like, okay, it kind of got me moving, you know, downstairs a little bit. But now with all the COVID issues going on in Cleveland, I think I can kind of shoot that dream down. But with it being that close, I am fully invested in what this AFC North has to, has to show me over this past or this last month of the season. I remember that bet too, because it was on our little mid off season preview show. Cause we got bored and wanted to do something fun. And you got great odds. You'll have to tell us that. And at that same time, I was trying to tell everybody at home, the Bengals at plus 1,300 
could have been the best value bet in a division bet all year. They might be there early, but with how difficult all these teams' schedules were, all it was going to take is the Bengals to do really well in the division. And right now, all they've done is sweep the Steelers, beat the Ravens the first time in handy fashion, but then they also got boat raced by the Browns. So two very important games here in the final four weeks. I'm confident Cleveland's going to pull it out. They got their best quarterback on the roster suiting up here on Sunday. Hey, now I'm a, I tried to, but I was kind of like Danny DeVito in, uh, and it's always sunny in Philadelphia when he tries to, and his neck is just too thick. Obviously, Wally doesn't watch it, but for those of you who oh, watch kidding it, me? you get it. You, I was going to say, don't you disrespect me like that. I love me some It's Always Sunny. No, you don't. The Dallas Cowboys go out to Washington at FedEx Field and come away with a victory, squeaking out 27-20. to 20. Dak with a rough game, only 211 yards, two interceptions. Cool, he got one touchdown. But Dallas was up 18-0 after the first quarter, up 27-8 at one point. Taylor Heineke goes out with an injury. Insert Kyle Allen to lead the comeback that fell just short. Kyle Allen leads down a touchdown drive, a pick six for the Washington football defense. All of a sudden, Kyle Allen's got the ball with a little bit of time with the ability to drive down the field and score to win the game. But of course, it doesn't happen because Washington turns the ball over four times in this game. Man, I really thought they were going to kind of pull it out there with Kyle Allen coming in late. And is there something going on with Dak Prescott that we're not being told or reported about? No, I don't really think that there's anything crazy going on with Dak Prescott right now. It is a long season. In the NFL, I know 17 compared to other sports is not that long of a period. But when you think about it, that's a really quick kind of turnaround each year for these guys. I think it's just that midseason wall. I know it's getting late, but I, I, I'm not panicked. I know that this defense right now, They forced four turnovers and only allowed 224 yards in this game. Dak didn't do anything great. I know that pick six was brutal at the end, but at the end of the day, he did enough for this team to win. I I think that they went into this game understanding that Washington wasn't as good as their win streak and their record represented that they were, and that's all this was. Washington, this football team is a fraud. Kyle Allen, while only coming in the fourth quarter, don't let the stats make it seem like he was in there all game. Taylor Henneke, he did not look great by any stretch of the imagination. He will be back next week from the sounds of it. This was the game I kind of was alluding to with the game and play differential when you run into, I think it was 68 to 52 plays in this game. Maybe it was 78 to 62. But regardless, when you are on the field that much more defensively, you're going to get yourself in trouble. That happened here. Cowboys, they're going to win this division. Focus on getting right the rest of the year. Washington. Pack it up and wait till Chase Young's back next year because you're done. And the final game that we have here of our week 14 recap, the New York Giants travel out to SoFi Stadium where the Chargers were 10.5-point favorites, and they were able to cover by 17. Mike Lennon making his second consecutive starts with the Giants, and they had no shot. Between Mike Lennon as your quarterback and that lack of offensive line, we knew, at least I knew, Chargers were going to cover this game easily. Justin Herbert... 275 yards with three touchdowns. They were up 30-7 to heading into the fourth, where New York scored about two touchdowns, some garbage time points to make it look somewhat respectable. But how much can you respect the New York Giants and, and them since, what, about last decade or so since they won the last Super Bowl? When Dave Gettleman is gone, when Daniel Jones is gone, 
I'll come back and start talking about the Giants and how I believe they can get better because right now I'm wasting my time and everybody else is talking about the New York Giants. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I don't know how this got. I don't know how this one leaked down here. How's this one not NASCAR? <laughs> Great question. I actually was wondering that too, and I think the Giants will probably be a NASCAR team the rest of this year. So don't worry about that. Before the Chargers, I mean, this is close to as a complete team win as we've seen from them all year. You mentioned they were up 30-7 to before the garbage team came in. The, the garbage team. The garbage time points came in later in that game. But this looked like a very focused team going into that Chiefs matchup. An ever-important one, too. If they do manage to win that game, it's anybody's division for the AFC West in the last three weeks between the two. If you lose, it's the Chiefs, and you have to start hoping that you get in on a wild card again. For what it's worth, though, that Justin Herbert bomb, the 65 yards in the air, that's why we watch football. That was football pornography. You see a throw like that once or twice a year in-game. We're talking live, not the Zach Wilson, look-at-me pre-draft throw across my body when no one's around. This was live, and that throw was... I mean, I'm still feeling things I haven't felt in a long time. I like I had to like cut off a few text chains and stuff and reevaluate life. Dude, this this Chargers team, I don't want to hit my pick too much. Maybe you were right. Maybe I, I should take a step back. Division's not over. We want to remind you guys that Loss of Down is brought to you by Tabbies.com, the best Delta 8 THC edible on the market. It's sugar-free, keto-friendly, gluten-free, heat-resistant, made of 100% pharmaceutical-grade ingredients with consistent dosing for the perfect edible experience. But hey, if you're not into Delta 8 THC, that's not a problem. Tabby's offers an option with no THC while using the same proprietary drug delivery system to ensure that guaranteed dosage of CBD. Right now, Tabby's.com offers three flavors, galactic fruit, watermelon, and mint. They are perfect for any time your anxiety is high. I've been battling depression and anxiety for a long time, and it's not a fix. Like, Don't get me wrong about that, but it does make me feel much more at ease, hence the name. Whenever I am feeling overwhelmed, I seriously would recommend this, whether they were a sponsor or not. So please go and make sure you follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Tab East Co. That is Tab East Co. spelled T-A-B-E-A-S-E-C-O to be the first to know when they drop. You can get any of these products at TabEase.com and with the promo code FOOTBALL, you can get 20% off your entire order and free shipping. Now let's get into some game preview. And that is going to bring us to the end of the Week 14 recap, mostly because the way Wally just led it right there, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to foreshadow. Kansas City the Chargers are the first game of the week that we're going to break down, and that is going to be the determining factor. Before we hop into it, Wally, why don't you tell us how our records were last week? Oh, boy. This feels good. I wish you could feel this dance move. The two of us both killing it this last week. First of all, for Steven, Gamble's a different way than my I do. So like a like a record with not as great win percentage doesn't matter. It's gonna pay about the same in this kind of instance this week. He goes 14 and 8. Your boy here, I go 20 and 9. We both brought you money this last week. And if you rolled with either one of us exclusively, you're talking four or five units easy. Easy in your pocket. And that's before the prop lock and drop it. We'll get to that here later. <laughs> but again, went 2-0. It's not a big deal. The Kansas City and Los Angeles Chargers, 
play this week. Like you said, the Chiefs are three-point favorites on the road, which is effectively going to be an arrowhead west. The total is set at 52 points as well. That's a lot. And for such a meaningful division game, I think you have to expect to see both of these teams come out with an attention to protecting the football. So take the under, but also take that San Diego, not San Diego should be, but take the Los Angeles Chargers with the points too. This game will be effectively in KC West, like I mentioned. That's the reason I think that you ultimately do see Kansas City get the win here. But my bet, it's going to be a little crazy. I got KC Moneyline. I have LAC plus three. And I also have the under 52 points, Stephen. My guy, my dark horse MVP candidate, which maybe over this le- these next few games, he can start making a push and people can start throwing his name in that conversation, make me a little bit of money. But I like the Los Angeles Chargers at plus three, and I like their money line as well. This will be the first competent offense the Chief will face during during their win streak, as well as their most healthiest offense. To remind you, Dallas Cowboys out their top two wide receivers. The Packers win without Aaron Rodgers. I think Justin Herbert in this offense is going to remind people that this Kansas City secondary and this de- their defense overall, but mostly their secondary, is just as bad as we thought. People are going to be reminded that for the better half of the first half of the season, this was a bottom three secondary. Justin Herbert's going to remind you, you got Keenan Allen back in the lineup. Mike Williams lives off 50-yard impossible catches. Even with Eckler out, I think this offense is going to pick up right where they were leaving off against the New York Giants, a team that Kansas City can only put 20 points up against. Chargers plus three money line. Don't give a fuck about if SoFi is all red. That's Crip Country, baby. That's what the color of Crips is, is blue, which is an eerily similar color of what the Los Angeles Chargers wear. The Las Vegas Raiders are traveling here in the state of Ohio, visiting what is left of the Cleveland Browns, where the Vegas Raiders are a point and a half favorite, over under set at 39 and a half. So this opened up at Vegas plus three. All of a sudden, it's a four and a half point swing with Baker Mayfield going to be out. Kevin Stefanski, Austin Hooper, Wyatt Teller, Harrison Bryant. And the list goes on because that's only about a third of the people that are out. That's what I'm basing this game off of. If the Raiders lose this game, my God, I'm on the, I am on the train of let's just not, let's not put the torch out. Let's just remove it from the stadium. Clearly, you guys just aren't it. But this is a game that the Raiders need. It is put on a platter for you. And I just don't think Kevin Stefanski can barely win games when he's the head coach. I'm not going to have any confidence of him not being there, them being able to produce significantly better or be any different with a Case Keenum-led team. I got your Raiders covering the one and a half, and I'm going to parlay it with their money line. I, I mean, my God. First of all, who needs this for the Raiders? Nobody. This game is meaningless. Season's over. Burn everything about the year. It's gone. I actually flip side. When this line came out, and this initially, at least when we saw it, was at three points here on Monday afternoon, I was 100% sure that the Raiders were going to walk into First Energy Stadium and make the Browns fans as miserable as Raider fans. Get the win. We both go to 7-7. Seven and seven. We're both out of the playoffs. Only does negative things for the draft capital. Now that Cleveland basically has their entire team out, and this is shaping up to everybody in the world thinks the Raiders should win this game, That's why the Browns will, because the Raiders just continually embarrass themselves in new ways, in more embarrassing ways than before. This is going to be the cherry on top of this season Sunday for the Raiders. At least one final time, we get to be the laughingstock of this league. 
Take the Browns outright. I don't care what the number grows to. Take them with the points. Take a money line. This is me giving you the money back if you followed Steven with them, the Chiefs last week. The Raiders are a circus act. Bet against them no matter what. I, I, I just feel the love seeping through the computer and the microphone for your team, Wally. I love it. I'm literally shaking. Like, every time I have to talk about them, it sends me... Uh, whatever. The, the next game, the New England Patriots travel to Indianapolis where the Colts are two and a half point favorites. You hear that? You can even get me halfway through the sentence. <sighs> Breathing techniques, everybody. We're fine. Everything's great. The Colts are two and a half point favorites with a total of 45 and a half hosting Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. I have the Colts minus two and a half in the money line. I'm going to tell you why. The Colts have very winnable games to end the year with the Raiders and Jags. I'm pissed again. Breathing techniques. With the Raiders and the Jaguars. That means if they win this game or next week against the Cardinals, you can all but basically sharpie in the Indianapolis Colts to win a wild card spot or potentially even a division, depending on what the Titans do. And then the Patriots coming off that bye. I understand how scary that can be, but they're due for a letdown. This is a team that's been... So good since the first couple months of the year. They're going to eventually have that game. I think this is it. The Colts are going to get a massive win, and here's my call for you, too. It's going to happen in overtime. I have a minus 2.5 in the money line. I just, like I said, Colts in a close one, OT heavy. We're on the same boat on this one. I'm going to take the Colts at minus 2.5 in their money line. Going against one of our biggest rules in gambling, don't bet against Bill Belichick. The Colts are facing the hottest defense in the league right now. And the Pats D-line versus the Colts O-line may be the matchup of the week here, positional group-wise. Rushing is the Achilles heel of this Patriots defense. They're about middle of the pack, I want to say, like anywhere from like 18 to 22 is kind of where they're sitting at. And they're facing the hottest running back in the league. I think the Colts can stop this winning streak of New England and start becoming the scariest team to face in the AFC because just like the NFC, we don't really know who the matchup is. We're, up, we're just going to say the Bucks versus boom. It's like closing your eyes, spinning the globe, and just putting your finger somewhere at that point. Why not the Colts? They're scary. Just like I said about San Francisco, I don't want to face the Colts. They have an offensive line that can block you. They have Jonathan Taylor that can run loose. Carson Wentz, he can be pretty decent when he wants to be, and that defense is very underrated, led by Darius Leonard. As much as I hate betting against Bill Belichick, he's got to lose at least one more before hitting the playoffs, and that, that's going to be the best thing for the team. But I still have Pats as my favorite to potentially come out, but I do not want to face the Colts. This is going to put them on the map even more. Carolina Panthers going up to Buffalo, where the Bills are 10.5-point favorites, the over-under set at 43.5. So Josh Allen was diagnosed with a foot sprain. He's considered day-to-day, but he is expected to play in this game and Emmanuel Sanders is likely out. Carolina's offense is horrible. Cam Newton sucks. This Bills defense is licking their chops to be able to prove themselves again that they can be an elite defense and cause this Bill to go to the go to the Super Bowl. I think the Bills are going to bounce back in a huge way. As much as I love that defense at Carolina, how underrated they're being talked about, I do not trust a Christian McCaffrey less. Panthers team being led by Cam Newton, which, reminder, 0-3 since he became a starter. Bills minus 10.5. I guess I'll sprinkle a little bit on their money line to parlay that together or maybe do a little bit of a teaser. I think 
think you're probably right, but the whole thing that's been hung up for me is that the 10.5 line, it just seems like a big number for a defense like Carolina because Carolina's defense, they've continuously come to play even when the offense hasn't. And that's really hard to do. And I, first of all, part of the reason I like Matt Rule, that makes a lot of sense too, is that he still has this group playing hard for him. But when you're using basically the reincarnation of what Cam Newton and P.J. Walker and Sam Darnold, all these other guys all year, you're not going to have success. The Bills do get a must-needed win before their trip to Foxborough, but I think it takes a bit of a gritty effort. You'll see the Panthers, a physical team as always, and their defense forces a few turnovers. Keep it closer than it should be, even without Sanders, and who knows with Josh Allen. But you'd imagine they do enough on offense to get the win, so I have Carolina in the points, but I do have the Bills' money line. Arizona, 12.5-point favorites are going to Detroit to face the Lions, where the over-under is set at 47.5. I'm rolling with Arizona minus 12.5 in the money line. Lions getting their first win a few weeks ago. I think you're going to see a lot more of the docile cats the rest of the year. Not a lot going on with the offense. We know that. And I don't think the defense really has like the horses we were just talking with Carolina to keep a lot of these games close. So I think the Cards get back on track and get a win going away here. Take the Cardinals minus 12 and a half in the money line. Detroit has no chance here. We'll see how their injury report is looking. Missing a lot of players while getting spanked by the Broncos. I still have no hope. I do not want to be the team that has to line up against the Arizona Cardinals after a loss like that. And most importantly, this is going to be the game that's going to lock in my preseason bet of under four and a half wins for the Detroit Lions so that's mostly what I'm riding on I got the Arizona Cardinals at minus 12 and a half and their money line no problem covering either of those the New York Jets are traveling to Miami where the Dolphins are nine and a half point favorites in the over under set at 42 and a half I like the Jets at plus nine and a half I just like them to show a little bit of life against a divisional opponent here you know Miami is hot they're coming off a bye week and there's really nothing for me to grasp that is positive about the Jets, this Jets team as a whole, and really any mismatches that they could exploit. I'm simply basing it off of, I think maybe it's a little bit too large for this division and a game within it. I like Miami. I can see them winning by nine and us being saved by the hook. And I have nothing to base what my bet is on this. Because I'm not fucking watching this game. I just love gambling, Wally. See, if I was smart, I'd also be like you and probably not touch this game because it really is a strange game. And the Dolphins are coming in as one of the hotter teams in the NFL, but don't they give it the same exact impression that the Washington football team did on their win streak? They just feel like frauds, but the Jets are just such a turnover palooza with Zach Wilson. I'm not sure who's going to cover, so that's why I don't actually have anybody with the points in this game. I'm going to assume that the Dolphins do get back to 500 and get a win here, but it's going to be a relatively high-scoring game, so my actual bets are going to be Miami, the Finns, money line, and I'm going to take the total of 42.5 with the over, just because, again, I mean, we're talking about a Jets team that when they can put up a few points, they get into a few shootouts, and I think the 42.5 is going to prove to be way low here. The Dallas Cowboys are 10.5-point favorites going to MetLife to face the New York Giants. Different game here. Caught me. My dumbass almost said Jets again. But the over-under is set at 44.5. I'm actually going to be very safe on this game. And I mean very safe. 
I'm taking the Dallas money line. And it's not a lot of money. You're not going to return a lot here. And this is why my record, usually when I bet more games, it can be more of that 15, 16 wins for Stevens. But pocket some free green with the Dallas money line here. That line seems oddly low, all things considered. And with it being a divisional game, I'm actually putting two units on the money line and calling it a day here. Mike Lennon has thrown the same amount of interceptions as Aaron Rodgers this year. Mike Lennon has played in two games. Without Danny Dimes again, I cannot trust this offense at all. Not that I could before. Definitely not going to now between the combination of Lennon and that offensive line. Great game for Dallas to just kick the shit out of a very familiar opponent. Get back on track after having a last a rough last month and a half. I like the Dallas minus 10 and a half. I'm, and I'm going to go with I'm as sure of that as you are about the money line in this game. We're going to keep it in the division for our next game where the Washington football team are traveling up to Philadelphia. The Eagles are six and a half point favorites. And the over-under is set at 44.5. Jalen Hurts is expected to start this game. Nick Sirianni has already came out, and he's expected to be the starter. And I like Washington at plus 6.5. The downfall of the football team is here to stay. This is a lot of points for an NFC East division game. I like Philadelphia to have Jalen Hurts bounce back after Garner Minshew lit up the scoreboard. But I think this last loss was too depleting to the football team, even if they are in the playoff hunt. If Kyle Allen's back and that is a full starter, I don't know if I have enough confidence in this Washington football team to win it. I do like them to cover the six and a half, but I got the Philadelphia money line. The Eagles are actually going to expose the football team this weekend while simultaneously announcing their arrival as an NFC East threat this year. They end their season now with four straight divisional matchups. Two of the next three are actually against this team in Washington. They're not going to lose either of these games and there's a real chance they've lost their final game before the playoffs already. The Eagles win this game by 10 to 14 points, take them giving the points, and straight up, this is the last time this year we talk about an under 500 Philly team, at least from a football perspective. Friendly reminder, it's been 17,004 days since the Philadelphia Flyers last won a Stanley Cup, Stephen. Just food for thought. Food for thought, salt in the wound. Whatever makes you feel better about saying it, bud. Feels terrific, and I'm sure it's going to feel terrific here. to get. I'm actually going to get to be nice about Pittsburgh for a second. My friends over here aren't going to believe it because they think I all hate their team, but the Tennessee Titans are a point-and-a-half favorite going to Heinz Field, and that kind of actually surprised me a little bit. Total is 41-and-a-half out there for people betting that. But the Steelers, if they have a pipe dream of becoming a threat in the AFC North or even getting back into the wild-card picture, they're going to have to win this game. The Titans' pass rush, while being significantly better this year, they can, if they can get pressure early and often, you will see the Titans win. I just We've seen vintage Big Ben here a few times here in the last month or so, and had it not been for man-child Chase Claypool and the unfortunate, whatever you want to call that, performance by him with his first down dance, how we haven't talked about that yet is amazing. And then the drop in the end zone to end that, we might be talking about the Steelers as being a sincere AFC North favorite right now. Imagine if they were 7-5-1 and one going into their final four games. Changes a lot of things. But instead, they have four very difficult games and may very well have to run the table to even get into the playoffs. But I do think they get a win Sunday. And the AFC North has four teams all within half a game of first place. 
This is all going to be decided on if TJ Watt is going to play that lingering groin injury that's just keeping him sideline or keeping him out of games after starting him. That's going to be a huge deciding factor. I, I agree with you, though. I like the Pittsburgh Steelers at the plus one and a half as well as their money line. This Tennessee team obviously is not the same. They can they do not have a healthy offense between Derrick Henry, Julio Jones, A.J. Brown still not has not been on the field. And Julio Jones is averaging like 37 yards per game. You take away that 130-plus yard game he had one week, he is averaging like two receptions for like 37 yards, something below mediocrity. And only scoring 20 points against the Jacksonville Jaguars. You're only scoring 20 points against that dumpster fire we call an NFL team. That is something that is raising my eyebrow. Not enough people, I feel, are talking about this. And again, TJ Watts is going to be a huge factor in how dominating this defense can be. But I, I like the Steelers getting a win in Heinz Field. Maybe start rolling. and Maybe this is the game that people are going to think that they can win the AFC North, depending on how the other two teams in the division, three teams in the division, play here this following week. The Houston Texans are traveling to Jacksonville, which I think this has to be a typo. The Jags are... The Jags, <clears throat> the Jacksonville Jaguars, Duval, Jacksonville. It's in Florida. Yeah, that team. Urban Meyer, they're three-and-a-half-point favorites. Jacksonville's a joke. I'm taking Houston plus three-and-a-half. I'm taking their money line. They are just a better coach team. The word of the podcast, they are, they are a more competent team. I don't care if it's Davis Mills or Tyrod Taylor. The Houston Texans are going to win this game, and they're, I must be missing something. Oh, my God, you and me both. I don't know what we're missing. I mean, he talked about earlier in this year about how every team in the NFL is like playing Alabama. This might be the only example that he can say he's playing a lesser college playoff opponent. This feels like his 2016 Ohio State team that got shut out 31 nothing against Clemson. And I don't know how we're still at a point that we're making this guy favorites in games. I mean, what do you say about this game? I, I, I have written down here, and cheesy as it sounds, but like I would have taken 12 yodelers from the Alps before betting on this Urban Meyer-led team. And whether it be Davis Mills, Tyrod Taylor, whatever, Urban surviving the end of the season would be a minor miracle. That team is quitting, and I would quit too. If that was my head coach, it seems like every five minutes there's a new story coming out. Josh Lambeau getting talked about. He got kicked this year by Urban Meyer. It's every day. There's a new story. Why would this Jaguars team play for him? I think you're going to see much of the result of week one, like you, Steven. Take Houston plus three and a half in the money line. The Cincinnati Bengals are traveling two mile high now, where the Denver Broncos are two and a half point favorites. The total is 44 here. The Bengals really had a little bit of runway to get themselves in a great position to win this division a few weeks ago. However, they've kind of pissed down their leg two straight times against the Chargers and 49ers, both home games too. Didn't show up in the first half against either of those teams. This game is their season. If this Bengals team wants to make the postseason, wants to win the division, wild card, what have you, you need to beat this Broncos team. If you do lose to this Broncos team, there's a very real chance that there are four teams in the division of the AFC North at or above 500, yet you only see one of those teams make the playoffs. I have been really, really high on the Bengals this year. I'm going to ride with them one more time. I hope they don't make a fool out of me. I'm begging you, Joey B, don't do it. Who day? Bengals went out right, and they're going to cover this game. 
Broncos are obviously not going to have that same energy aura around them going into this this consecutive home game after the you know the passing of Demarius Thomas. This secondary is fun though. No one's really talking about the secondary led by Justin Simmons, their safety, and his co-host, rookie passer Tain the second. Three interceptions over the past two games. That secondary is playing nicely. And even though they're a little bit streaky, just like the Cincinnati Bengals, I'm actually going to go with the Bengals at plus two and a half here. And their money line as well. Wally kind of summed it up perfectly. Me, I'm strictly basing this off what I said earlier about the Bengals. Two on, two off, two on, two off. They just had two off. It's time to get two back on. Bengals plus two and a half and their money line. The Atlanta Falcons are going, traveling to the West Coast here to San Francisco. The Niners are nine-point favorites over under set at 46. I do not trust the Falcons right now. Talk about a hot and cold team. Matt Ryan, uh uh-uh. Going up against his old offensive coordinator. You don't think that defense is going to be fired up? You don't think Kyle Shanahan is going to be leaking ways how to disrupt Matt Ryan, how to disrupt this offense? As long as you stop to score Daryl Patterson, yeah, you can beat me with Russell Gage. You can beat me with Hayden Hurst. Yeah, sure, I got Kyle Pitts. Who is, man, talk about a on and off, mostly off rookie season he's having. San Francisco is hot right now. Kittle makes this offense different than you sprinkling Debo Samuel out of the backfield, lining up in the slot, lining up in the X, in the Y, in the Z, the Swiss Army knife of this offense. I'm leaning with the Niners on this one as the home favorite. I'm taking their minus nine, and I'm going to pair it up with their money line as well. I'd just say the only negative or positive thing I guess I could say about the Falcons is don't give up on Kyle Pitts yet. This is a guy right now that is going to be kind of like the only emerging option that teams are looking at. You'll figure it out. And how often also do you see tight ends kind of blow up in their first year? It, it's pretty rare. But the Falcons have beaten the teams that they should have for the most part and lost to premier teams in the league like we expected. Vegas is finally kind of warmed back up to San Francisco after their difficult start to the year. And I think that this line actually is an overcorrection. I think the Falcons will keep this close throughout. Wouldn't even be shocked if they had a second-half lead in this game. But Kyle Shanahan's bunch does avoid a scare and get a win. So I'm going to take the Falcons with the points. But I have the Niners on the money line. Keep it here with a few other NFC West teams where Seattle is traveling to L.A. to face the Rams. Rams getting back home now, quote, air quotes on home. I have the Rams minus four and a half in the money line. OBJ in the passing offense looked a little bit like themselves for the first time since Robert Woods' injury. And they could be hitting their stride at the perfect time. Only a game out of the West and firmly in possession of the wild card position kind of puts the Rams quietly in one of the more envious positions in the NFL. If the Cardinals slip up, they're poised to strike. While if the Rams stumble, they may actually be in that kind of rare spot of being able to rest their starters as a firm wildcard spot. You'll see a more relaxed LA team, even with the COVID outbreak. I think you're going to see the Rams win by seven or more points, and that's why I take them to win and cover here. So I'm sticking true to my word here. I got the Seattle Seahawks at plus four and a half. I think this is a team that's going to play spoiler the rest of the year. Cover at least. I'm not saying win. Cover because I also have the Rams money line. With the injuries that they had on the offense and defensive side of the ball, or not the injuries, the COVID exposure, COVID outbreaks that kept out key players, with the Rams winning the way they did against that opponent with the situation that was happening in their locker room, 
that's going to give a lot of confidence to this team moving forward. And this may be a game that we look back and it's like, man, that really changed the whole dynamic of that season because of missing those key players. You had a lot of people step up, next man up mentality. All of a sudden you're creating depth. You're giving those players very meaningful snaps and important games. And it's only going to benefit you down here in the long run. The NFC West is always a three, three to four point game. It will always keep it close. I feel like I, I'm a broken record when it comes to divisional games. But if it's Seattle, it is going to be a, a three-point win or loss. I like Seattle at plus four and a half. I like the Rams to cover here at SoFi. Green Bay Packers are four and a half point favorites heading to Baltimore. Well, the Ravens totally expect Lamar Jackson. Completely expect Lamar Jackson to play through that ankle sprain here. Obviously, he is not going to be the same quarterback. If you want to beat this Ravens team, you make Lamar play quarterback, which is staying in the pocket, throwing, containing him. And this is a, and this is a team in an offensive line that's giving up the second most sacks in the league at 38. Lamar Jackson's going to be hurt. He's going to be hobbled. He's not going to be able to get out of the pocket, cut, make the plays that he's able to or what we're used to seeing. And on top of that, Green Bay is rolling right now. Baltimore's allowing 22 points per game in here and allowing the second most passing yards in the league. Aaron and the boys are ready to exploit that. Awesome. You know what? They also have the second best third down percentage as a defense. doesn't matter. Green Bay's not even going to get to third down because they're just going to run and throw all over them on the first two down because they're going to be passing the ball a lot with a lot of second down conversions for the, for the change here to move. Green Bay minus four and a half in their money line disrespects me here, Wally. I actually have the Ravens plus four and a half here, and I don't like betting against your Packers because, you know, I think we have this little bit of rapport back and forth. We kind of root for each other's teams. They don't play each other much, and they rarely get in each other's way. So I usually like the root for the Packers. I just, I, I think this game is going to be a dogfight, and we've seemingly on loop talked about the competitiveness that is the AFC North so far. And even with the one-game lead right now, most people have almost discounted and counted out the Ravens to be a front runner at the very least. And I think because of that, you're going to have Harbaugh having his team really ready to play. This game could go either way. And I believe that it goes with the old adage here that the last team with the ball wins the game. Four and a half is a lot of points. I think it's about a coin flip game. And that's the reason I'm taking Baltimore plus four and a half. I don't have anybody on the money line. I should tell you at home, I truly think this is a toss up. But our next game shouldn't be as close. At least I wouldn't imagine it would be where the New Orleans Saints are playing against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who are 10.5 point home favorites. Total set at 46.5. I mean, this is one of the rare teams in the NFL that has given Tom Brady fits in his career and more specifically in his Bucs career. He's only 1-3 against them in the past two years with that win being the most critical of those games which is fitting because Brady, he always seems to matter to win the one that matters most. But anyways, we've both been hinting at for a month or so here. The Bucks are getting into gear and hitting their stride at the right time. And this really isn't the New Orleans Saints team that has given the Bucks fits in the past. I actually think the Bucks blow out the Saints. My score I give you here is 31 to 10. And that's why I'm actually going to take the under with the Bucks money line and the Bucks giving 10 and a half points as well. We're on different sides of this, which is fun. I want I like the Saints at plus ten and a half and Tampa Bay's money line. The Saints are Bucks killers. Taysom Hills got back in the win column here, yes, against a way lesser opponent. 
that's a confidence building game after the game he had prior to that. Just four interceptions looking like absolute dog shit. The Bucks defense has allowed 25 points per game since week eight, which ranks 21st in the NFL. Yes, this is not the same offense that we're used to seeing, you know, or has the formula that led Tom Brady to a one and three record. Well, let's flip it to the other side. This is not the Tampa Bay defense that we should be scared of like we were around this time last year. Is Taysom Hill going to throw a 350 with three to four touchdowns? No, but I think that he's athletic enough to push Tampa Bay to at least a one-possession game, push them to the brink here, keeping it competitive. Because, again, at this point, I don't think it's a player perspective. I think it's a coaching perspective that Sean Bay is just out-coaching that Buck staff for the – for those four games. I like the Saints defense to also have the upper hand over Tampa Bay's very streaky defense. And again, giving up that many points since week eight. It's going to be a close game, but the Bucks winning their four straight at the end of the day here. I like their money line and the Saints at plus ten and a half. Last game that we have here on the slate. Don't know why the fuck this is on Monday night. Minnesota Vikings are three and a half point favorites against the Chicago Bears. The over-under at Soldier Field is set at 44. That's a pleaded defense that's got 45 hung up on them. They have a short week. Minnesota's coming off a 10-day a ten day layoff. And we'll see how Adam Thielen is looking for this game. But Justin Jefferson is going to be just enough against the Chicago Bears team. Yes, Justin Fields did have a good game against the Packers. At least a good half of football against the Packers. You're going up against a lesser defense in Minnesota. But Minnesota understands the opportunity that's in front of them and being able to push and get back into that playoff contention and conversation. This is a game you need to win. And I believe that they will covering the minus three and a half. Man, this game has me stumped. And it's funny because this is one of those rare occurrences where neither of us have a money line bet in this game. We're opposites again. I think that Chicago plus three and a half is a smarter play here. But Also, before we get into anything crazy, I want to just tell you guys, make sure you download this ColorCast app for Monday night. I will be calling a game on that app. Search at JW2018 within about 30 minutes of kickoff, and I'll be there live with a colleague from Ohio State. That's the ColorCast app, and it is sort of like a setup of the Manning Cast on the ESPN2. We welcome guests at any point, and it's just a really fun way to watch and interact with fellow NFL fans. And with all that being said, I, I have the Bears three and a half. Not sure if I'd really pick them to win that game, but I'd say with it being at Soldier Field, that feels closer to a coin flip than really not. But I'll be bringing this game up again very shortly in our final segment. But while I was talking about color cast, this is a cool thing to get on early because I'm going to try to get Steven on here too so that we can potentially call some games ourselves. And the fact that we could both be potentially doing play-by-play and color, but it's much more demanding, relaxed setting. It's going to be an opportunity for you guys to almost hear us in like a live version of ourselves. And I think that could be really cool. Maybe we can get it on for whether it be an AFC North game, Packers or Raiders down the stretch. Long way of me saying, take the Bears plus three and a half, color cast app, look out on Monday night. And with that, that's going to bring us to the end of our week 15 predictions. Heading into our last segment of the episode, the prop, lock, and drop it. Where we get to pick a prop of the week. We get to discuss who we think the absolute lock of the week is and our drop, the game that we want to stay away from. So, Wally, I will toss it to you. How did you do last week, bud? And what's your prop, lock, and drop it for this week? 
Oh, you know I killed it this last week. I kind of hinted at the start of this gambling part where not only did I go 20-9 and in our regular picks, I drilled our 2-0, and including a plus 180 prop here. I had Kansas City minus 16.5 against the Raiders. Kind of wish I had a minus 38.5 because it still would have hit. But whatever. That's fine. I'm over that. This week, I have oh, okay the under. Oh, sorry. I have the under. In Las Vegas' points against that backup or third-string Cleveland Browns defense, I got this under at Las Vegas at 19 points. I'm sure it's probably gone up with everything going around the Cleveland Browns in the last few days. If it has, take it. Does this just make you feel better when it hits? You're like, well, at least I was right. And Does that make you sleep better at night? I've never seen anyone bet against their team like this. It's a Lukashinsky thing. My dad does it too. It's hedging your bet. My dad will literally bet $200 or $300 against the Bengals money line every single week so that at least if the Bengals lose, he's at least happy because he can get what dinner and whatever else shit that he can be happy for for a week. Otherwise, it's worth a hundred, couple hundred bucks. I mean, look at it last year, Steven. But 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 he's okay to just lose $200 just for the Bengals to win? Yes, and I would tell you not only is he, remember last year, people that are new, I bet 1000 bucks on the Chiefs to win by 9.5 last year, and I was literally celebrating my burn ticket when the Raiders went out right at Arrowhead. We have a gross and weird family, so we hedge our happiness so at least when we're at our lowest point, we don't fall off a cliff, Steven. That's the dumbest shit ever. Let's lock it up. You, you say it's dumb now. Wait until your team loses and you make money. It feels a little better. Anyways, we will lock it up. Under, like I said, for the prop, uh, Las Vegas. I don't know what the number is. Take it. It could be four. To take the under three and a half of Vegas points this week. The lock, Cincinnati money line at Denver. Coming off that really emotional week, and it really was emotional for Denver, you have to imagine that it's going to be a little bit more challenging. The defense has been outstanding. They really are the Carolina defense of the AFC. But this is a game that Cincinnati really needs. They're the better team. This is kind of one of those Joey Burrow moment games early in his career. I think you'll see it. Take the Bengals, money line outright. I guess if you want a super lock, take them plus two and a half. Then my drop... For the record, is Minnesota at Chicago. It's a Monday night game that you said, I don't know why it's on Monday night. No idea who to even bet here. That's why I had Chicago plus three and a half by obligation to have a bet. I went one and one with my prop lock and drop. You know what? I'm going to go. I went two and one because my prop here last week, I had Saquon under rushing yards at 58. He ends up getting 64. So there's my one loss. My lock of the week, Tampa Bay minus three hosting the Buffalo Bills. As you know, they won by six points in overtime, 33-27. to 27. And then my drop of the week, which I think is a win, was the Cleveland Browns minus two and a half versus the Baltimore Ravens. If you took the Ravens at plus two and a half, the hook saved your ass. For those of you that don't know what the hook is, that is what that point five is right there, the hook. So I'll take two and one. I'll let that uh, feel a little bit better about myself. This week on the prop lock and drop it, my prop, Jonathan Taylor at three plus touchdowns. And I love the value here at plus 1,200. And even if you want to sprinkle a little bit on him to score two touchdowns, look at the difference between this. 
That's only at plus 280. Look at that jump. Plus 280, that actually doesn't sound bad. But then it goes up to plus 1,200. But I feel like they're expecting him to score two. Regardless, I think he's going to score three because I don't think Carson Wentz is going to be able to get it done against that secondary and that pass defense of the New England Patriots. I like that a lot. Hell, I, I might I might uh, see if I can get four touchdowns down there just for kicks and gigs. My lock of the week, I have the Los Angeles Chargers at plus three against the Kansas City Chiefs on our Thursday night game here. Like I said, I think Justin Herbert's going to exploit that defense. Remind us all that we got too high in the Kansas City Chiefs. And that secondary is something that we really should be worried about. If not, this will finally be the week that I can eat crow, as Wally says, put my foot in my mouth. So I think that this will be an actual test if this team is back. And if not, watch out. This is the Chargers division because they already beat them during their first matchup. My drop of the week, Indianapolis minus two and a half against the New England Patriots. I have to write this wrong. You can't bet against Bill Belichick, and I'm not going to make this my first time. I will sprinkle prop bets on it for Jonathan Taylor because that's a little bit smarter. Bet on Jonathan Taylor, the hottest running back in the league, versus betting against the hottest head coach and the hottest team in the league. So that's going to be my drop at minus two and a half. Colts versus New England. With that, that is going to wrap us up and bring us to an end of another episode of Loss of Down. Make sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms, Facebook and Instagram, at Loss of Down and Twitter, down underscore loss. And make sure to reach out to us. Mostly reach out to Wally and tell him how fucking gross he is for picking Canada dry over Seagrams. He knows Seagrams is the alpha elite ginger ale and it's hard for me to really be on the same podcast with a guy who's a Canada Drive person because um, in the contract agreement, we agreed that this was a Seagram's podcast. So I don't understand the, the disconnect. I'm Stephen Weed. Of course, always joining me is Walter Lukashetsky in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, I really don't care if you have any parting words. Until next time, we are lost and down. We're going back to back to back weeks getting you plus money. Hammer the Penguins puck line on Friday night against the Sabres. Doesn't confirm nor deny what I said was true. You're an idiot. You're an idiot, though.